0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. So what happens is this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Traveling with him, of course, are his 12 disciples, but there's also a large crowd of followers from Galilee. Now, they're going up to Jerusalem because it's Passover, but this Passover is going to be the best ever because they all know that now Jesus is going to become king. They're going to Jerusalem for Jesus to become the king. It's a several-day journey, you know. They're coming up from the east. They're coming up from Jericho, climbing up to the city of Jerusalem, and then they crest the Mount of Olives, and there's the city in front of them. An electric thrill goes through that crowd. The king is coming. The king is making his approach the prophets have talked about this. We've waited so long. Jesus pauses for a moment on top of the Mount of Olives and he said, go into that village. You'll find a donkey. Bring it to me. Because the prophet had said, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout for joy, O Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, triumphant and victorious is he lowly and humble riding upon a donkey. They sit Jesus on the donkey and he begins that descent from the Mount of Olives down into the city. I walked that route three times last month. Thought about Palm Sunday every time. Crowd began to erupt in joy. They began to say things like Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David, the king of Israel. They cut down palm branches and began to wave them as a symbol of elation and victory and triumph. Some took off their cloaks and threw them in front of the donkey to give Jesus a royal entry into the city. As Jesus enters the city, amidst the hosannas and the shouts and riding upon a donkey, there's great uproar and turmoil within the city. People say, who is this? What's going on here? Someone being proclaimed a king coming into the city. Who, Who is this? And the Galilean crowd said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to become king. Now Jesus knows how he's going to become king. He's even told his disciples, but they don't understand, but He's come to become king. Throughout Lent, we have been looking at Jesus the healer. And on Palm Sunday, as Jesus comes into the city, Jesus once again proves himself a healer. We continue the story, Matthew Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. My Palm Sunday sermon is called A Temple for All. Palm Sunday marks the first time that Jesus has allowed himself to be publicly acclaimed as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. The anointed and prophesied and promised King that will come and redeem Israel. People have been getting that revelation, mostly up in Galilee, his intimate followers. Peter had made his confession, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. When others would say it, Jesus would say, don't tell anybody, not yet, not now. Don't say anything about it. But on Palm Sunday, when the crowd begins to rub, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, the king. And the Pharisees said, teacher, that's very dangerous. You better better make your disciples be quiet. And Jesus had always made them be quiet, but not this day. He He said to the Pharisees, oh, I tell you, on this day, if my disciples were quiet, well, then the stones would have to cry out. So it's the first time that Jesus has allowed himself to be publicly acclaimed As the king. And then as the king. He goes into the temple. And he doesn't like what he sees. And we say he cleanses the temple. But it wasn't a cleansing of the temple. It was a prophetic protest of the temple. And a symbolic destruction of the temple. He begins to turn over. The tables of the money changers who'd made the temple a house of commerce. He drives out the cattle and the sheep with a whip that he'd braided himself. Jesus is prophetically protesting the temple and symbolically destroying the temple. And throughout his final week there in Jerusalem, Jesus, both in public and in private, prophesied the end of the temple. He sat on the Mount of Olives and he gave them the signs that will mark the approaching of the end of the temple and the end of the age. Not the end of the world, but the end of the temple age. Not only did Jesus, during that final week, prophesy the end of the temple and the temple age. He also said provocative things like this. I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So Jesus is talking about the end of this temple they could see, this incredible edifice. He said, not one stone's going to be left upon another. It's coming down. But I'm going to, when they said, well, give us a sign that you really are who you are. He says, oh, this is a sign I'll give you. I will destroy this temple and in three days raise it up. But John says, no, he's talking about his body. But that's, what do we mean by the body of Christ? Jesus' final week was lived in Jerusalem in the liminal place between an old temple doomed to destruction and a new temple that would be established in his death, burial, and resurrection. One of the prophetic hints of the nature of the new temple is found right here in our text. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because it was said regarding the temple, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. The blind and the lame shall not come into the temple, but now the blind and the lame are coming into the temple, but they're leaving the temple no longer blind and no longer lame. This new king is going to build a new temple, and it's going to be a temple for all people. During his prophetic protest of the temple. He quotes Isaiah the prophet and says. My house shall be called a house of prayer. For all nations, for all peoples, for all people. My house. Now see, this is this is from the second Isaiah. This is Isaiah of of the exile." This is the prophet Isaiah who lived in Babylon during the space when there was no temple. The temple had been built around the year 1000 BC by Solomon. It was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And then there was a 70 year period where there was no temple. And when there was no temple, it was an opportunity For the prophets to imagine by the spirit what might come. You know, when you've lost everything, but you believe it's going to come back, you're free to imagine, I wonder what it's going to be like. The prophet Ezekiel saw this mystical temple out of which flowed a stream of water that at first was just a little trickle, only ankle deep, but it grew deeper and wider and it became a great river that went all the way down to the Dead Sea and it healed the Dead Sea. The prophet Ezekiel sees a vision of a temple from which a stream of living water goes forth and heals the waste places. Isaiah said, hmm, in the name of the Lord I prophesy. The house of the Lord will be a house. What if, what if it's a house? What if it's a house for all a house of prayer not just for one nation not just for one ethnicity what if it's a house of prayer for all nations for all peoples that's Isaiah's prophecy but it doesn't happen when the temple is rebuilt under the governorship of Zerubbabel beginning in 516 B.C. It's it's not a temple for all nations. It's still just an ethnic national temple. But Jesus knows the prophecy and he holds on to it. And in symbolically proclaiming the end of the old temple, he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. What sign do you show us, Rabbi? You're claiming great things. What, what's, what's the sign you're going to show us? And Jesus, oh, this is the sign. I will destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they say, well, it took 46 years for Herod to expand this temple to what it is now, and you're going to raise it up in three days? And then John comments, he's talking about his body. But what do we mean by the body of Christ? I mean, there's the, there's the corporal, crucified Buried, risen body of Jesus, that's the body of Christ. But there's also the body of Christ that is the church, that is held together in mystical union by the body of Christ that is the Eucharist. Jesus is talking about a new kind of temple. In Christ, we have given to us a new covenant, a new Israel a new humanity, a new temple. And these become major themes in the New Testament. Paul tells the Corinthians, you are God's temple. A bunch of Gentiles that had come to believe in Jesus. The apostle Paul tells them, you are now God's temple. Paul tells the Ephesian church, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of a holy temple for the Lord. Peter writes a letter to the new believers that now have to live as exiles in the Roman Empire in the eastern provinces. And he says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. In other words, the old temple of limestone is gone. The new temple of living stones has arrived. And that's why any kind of eschatological emphasis on rebuilding some sort of temple in Jerusalem is theologically totally misguided. Misses the whole point. The purposes of God are no longer accomplished through a single temple in a single place made of limestone. The purposes of God are accomplished globally through a temple made of living stones. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And the new temple made of living stones with Jesus as the cornerstone is to be a temple for all people. Say all people. All people. So what do we do? Well, we welcome, we welcome, we welcome all people. All kinds of people. People from all kinds of backgrounds or people with all kinds of problems. The church is not a, on a quest for us all to just be a gathering that is so similar. It's, it's all people. So we welcome all people. We, we welcome especially the sick and especially those that are sick in their soul because sin is a disease and Jesus is a healer. We don't say, get well and then come to church. We say, no, 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 you're sick. Come, come, come. We especially walk welcome the blind and the lame. The blind and the, the blind, the, the people that don't see things quite the way you do. Now, they don't see things the way I do, but I say, welcome, because that's who we welcome. The lame, people don't quite walk the way you think they should walk. But you say, no, 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 we welcome the blind and the lame People that don't see eye to eye with us. People that don't walk quite the same way we do. We welcome them. We don't ostracize them. We don't shut them out. We invite them. We welcome them. The church is a temple for all people. And our confession that Jesus is Lord over the nations. Not just, you know. Jesus is not Lord elect, Lord gonna be, Lord of my spiritual life. When we confess that Jesus is Lord over all that has deep profound theological implications. Book of Revelation 11:15 The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of Christ is the kingdom to which we pledge our allegiance. The kingdom of Christ is global. Composed of every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, everyone. So look up here, look up here. Look up here. What do you see? What what symbols do you see? You see you see you see a cross. You see a symbol of a cross. You see you see the symbol of bread and wine that communicates the body and blood of Jesus. You see candles, symbol of the Holy Spirit. You see five modern icons created by a Ukrainian artist in Lviv. You see an icon of the baptism of Christ, the transfiguration of Christ, the crucified Christ we see an icon of Christ descending into hell we see a icon of Christ raised from the dead these three are what we're headed for this week this is Good Friday this is Holy Saturday this is Easter Sunday when you look when you gather at Word of Life Church and you look you see cross candle communion icons telling the story of Jesus from baptism to resurrection what don't you see no flags no flags oh that wasn't an oversight that's deliberate that's on purpose flags have no place in a sanctuary that confesses Jesus is Lord the church is to be a sanctuary that is a place of refuge in time of trouble. It's a shelter from the storm. The church is a sanctuary from the sectarian nationalisms that so trouble our world. One of my favorite churches in Jerusalem, and I've been there enough, I know them all, is in the Garden of Gethsemane that has these ancient olive trees it's a peaceful place, the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and one of my favorite churches there. There's a, I took that picture. See see how that see how they've see how they've done it. Uh, the idea of the church is you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you see the olive branches, and it's at night, and the stars are up above. But the name of the church is what I love the most. It's called the Church of All Nations. The Church of all—it's—it's not the Church of the Roman Empire, the Church of the Byzantine Empire. It's not the Church of England, the Church of Russia. It's not the Church of America. It's the Church of all nations. In the Garden of Gethsemane, a place of peace. Flags bring the division of warring nations into the global body of Christ, and it's wrong. Flags in the sanctuary, maybe. Because, you know, I know that churches do that. I remember one time I was here. I was sitting on the front row. I had a friend with me from India. He looked around and said, you don't have any flags. I said, I don't have any flags, no. He said, isn't that against the law? (laughs) Which is interesting. Because every church he'd been in America had a flag. He thought it must be a law. To which I said to my friend, I said, no, it's not against the law. But if it were, I'd break the law. No, flags have no place in the sanctuary that confesses that Jesus is Lord. Now, I will grant you flags on platforms near the altar and has been empires like Portugal may be fairly innocuous fairly innocent, but when you start having flags in churches and military superpowers like the United States and Russia, that's theologically dangerous. Nations have no claim upon the church and the church has no allegiance to any particular nation. We are a blessing to all nations, but we pledge allegiance to none of them. We pledge our allegiance to Christ. We're not called to seek the supremacy of our nation. We're called to seek the supremacy of Christ. Does this sound radical to you? Welcome to Christianity. You thought it was a tame religion. Oh, no, it's not. The The constitution of the kingdom of Christ is the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes or the Bill of Rights, if you want to play off that a little bit. And what does it say? Who, who gets to inherit the earth in the kingdom of Christ? Not the superpowers. Not the superpowers. Jesus says, blessed are the superpowers because they have nukes and they'll inherit the earth. No. Blessed are the meek, the quiet, the gentle, the trusting. They shall receive their portion as Christ reigns in the world. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The body of Christ is a temple for all people. It's a simple statement. The body of Christ is a temple for all people. It's a simple statement, but it has enormous implications. What does it mean to live as a people for whom ethnic and national distinctions are meaningless? What does it mean to actually live as a people for whom ethnic and national distinctions are meaningless? What does it mean to live as a people not united around us versus them? which is the way most all societies are united. They have to have a scapegoat. They have to have a vilified other. They come together in unity because they all agree to hate them. That is the satanic way of producing union in the world. It works, but it's demonic. What does it mean, though, to live as a people who do not unite around us versus them, but unite around allegiance to Christ and love for everyone? What does that mean? What are the implications of that? That would be a radical people. This new idea of an allegiance that transcends ethnic and national loyalties and ties and allegiances was radical in Paul's day. That's what got him in trouble both with religious leaders and with political leaders. Ultimately, it's why he's executed by Emperor Nero. I mean, people say, you know, remember that that Paul said to obey the authorities. And I say, remember, Paul was executed by the authorities that he didn't obey. Paul says, I'll pay my taxes, but if you want me to confess Caesar is Lord, sorry, I can't do that, Jesus is Lord. And they said, off with your head, and he said, so be it. This new idea was radical in Paul's day and it's just as radical in our day to actually attempt to live as a Christian in our fractured world. To actually attempt to live as a Christian in our fractured world is just about the most radical thing a person can do. You want to be radical attempt to live as a Christian in our fractured world where you say, you know what, here's what we have in common. Jesus is Lord over all. And we are going to demonstrate that not by some sort of triumphalism, not by some sort of forced coercion or or forced conversion, but by loving everyone. And we see, especially though in the disenfranchised, in the sick in the impoverished in the weak, we see the face of Christ. Because our Lord has told us how we treat those is how we treat him. In as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. To live as that kind of people is just about the most radical thing we can do. And I say to Word of Life Church, let's go for it. Let's be that kind of people. That say our allegiance is to Christ and our call is to love everyone. Amen. Stand up with. Me. Pilate rode in on his horse. I got to do it. It's Palm Sunday because there's always some dude on a horse. <laughs> Jesus excuse the war horse to ride the humble little donkey. Yes, he does. Hallelujah. Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall teach peace to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Amen and amen. We don't have a, We don't have a cross, we don't have a flag, we have a cross. We confess that Jesus is Lord and we are going to love everyone. That's why everyone, everyone, everyone is invited to the table. Join with me in confessing our Christian faith on Palm Sunday. I believe in God, the Father almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. We just that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. You know, you know what that means. It's not the Roman Catholic Church, although I'm fine with the Roman Catholic Church, but that's not what our confession is about. Holy Catholic means global, universal. It's not the, in other words, it's the opposite of saying the Holy American Church or the Holy Russian Church or the Holy english church or the holy spanish church no holy catholic church join with me now in confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness most merciful god we confess that we've sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone we've not loved you with our whole heart we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves we are truly sorry and we humbly repent For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility, ask for mercy. Here's the best news you'll hear all day long. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And as forgiven sinners, we go forth to forgive others, to walk the world as the pardon of God. And we come now to the table. In our confession, I I say this is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. By that we mean, it's yes, it's in the church, and this is something the church does, but it's not under the control of the church. It isn't the church that decides who gets to come. It's Jesus. And who gets to come to Jesus' table? Read the Gospels. Who gets, who's allowed to come to Jesus' table? Whoever will. I think the one thing that Jesus would say about coming to his table, I think the only thing he's going to say is, once you've come to my table, don't try to stop anybody else from coming to my table. I mean, after all, I let you. I let you come. Are we going to start now, you know, not letting others come because they're what? So this is The table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often, you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, which is all of us. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.